Well, hello again. This is Lisa Smith Henderson, the host of the podcast Alma, Am I Racist? To find out more about Alma and who she was and how she inspired me, you can go to the website almaamiracist.com. We're continuing a conversation that we started with Christian A. Smith. By the way, you can go to his website, christianasmith.com, and that's Christian with a K. We talked about the events of the Capitol riots and about how it's everything that Black people knew was going on the whole time, that white supremacy existed and that these people existed and that this is what they wanted. So I asked Christian to come back and talk to us some more. And Christian, what's in store for us this week? Do you think we're going to have a bigger show? So Trump does not care about his followers. He's a narcissist. He cares about his fame. He cares about his power. And he'll do whatever he needs to do to make sure he remains in power. So since he can't be the president anymore after the 20th, he'll maintain his power over his cult-like following. And I, I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something. Like, you know, he's been, after all of the damage he's done on social media, now everybody gets a conscience. We're getting rid of Donald Trump. Like, you should have got rid of him. You should have you got rid of him when he was using Twitter to push the birther narrative. That's when yeah. you should have got rid of him. Six, seven, eight years ago. Right. But you wait until 12 days before he's going to be out of office. And, oh, now we got to get rid of him. But you've already given him all of the, the ammunition that he needs to do whatever he wants to do from now. Think about how blindly these people follow Trump. Trump has been banned from Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Trump could decide tomorrow to start his own social media network. And he'd have millions of people who join it just to follow him. He's got an army. He has an army. So do you think in the next week or so we are in for another show? There have been talks. I've heard that there's going to be another one on the 17th. You know, somebody might say, oh, you know, that's just speculation. Well, you know what? Everything was speculation about this first attack until it happened on Wednesday. And I have to tell you, I have a friend who's been writing about this for months. Like, please know this is coming. This is coming. And I thought, oh, she's probably being just a little too dramatic. And this is a white woman. And on Wednesday, I was like, gosh, you were right. And she said, I didn't want to be right. I did not want to be right. But this is not the end of it. And when I was watching it, all I could think of it was from a theater perspective and our game show host. Well, this wouldn't be a good season finale. Blood's got to be shed. They've got to drink the Kool-Aid on camera. It's just the beginning. This is just the beginning. I want us to stop being shocked. I understand our collective disappointment. I want to challenge everybody who listens to this podcast Stop being shocked and surprised. This is who we are. This is who we have always been as a country. There has never been a time in this country where we weren't what we saw on Wednesday. So let's stop stop being shocked. Okay, so maybe this is a good thing that it's all flushed up to the surface. Okay, I'm trying to be optimistic, Christian. I understand. 
I just, when I think about the history of the country, how many times has it been flushed up to the surface? How many times? So I, I, I can't get excited about it being flushed up to the surface here because we saw it flushed up to the surface in a major way during the civil rights movement when black people would do sit-ins in diners and they would just sit there peacefully and they would be physically and verbally assaulted. And then police officers would come in and arrest the peaceful protesters and high five the people that had spat on them and poured coffee on them and put food on them and punched them and kicked them. We've seen this stuff brought up to the surface over and over and over and over and over and over again. I can't get excited that it was yeah. brought up to the surface again. I can't. And I, okay. I don't want to I don't want to knock anybody else that does if you do. No, that's cool. I think it's fair. I just can't. Okay, so and and I think this is part of my white privilege. Yeah. Because I've known on some levels for most of my life that it was not right. Things were not right. Things were not equal. Obviously, I wouldn't have gotten to the point of doing this podcast had I not believed that. But yes, I'm still shocked. Now, I have to tell you the thing that shocked me the most about Wednesday was thinking how differently Black people would have been treated. Sure. That was my shock. Like, this is really so apparently different. Can I say something real quick? What you just said was very profound. In this country, sometimes optimism is even an expression of white privilege. Ooh, that's good. White people have the privilege to be optimistic. And and again, that's not an an assessment of your character. Right. Right. It's just what is. It is what it is. Because, Because when you see what happens in society, it doesn't hit you the same way it hits us because that's not you that is being brutalized. So when we see BLM protesters being brutalized, when we go back and we look at those videos of the peaceful protesters being brutalized during sit-ins, if you're not black, you have to work to empathize with those people. So you have to work harder to identify with what's going on. So optimism is a part of your privilege. God, that is, that is like scary profound. It's unfortunate too. I want to find other things about which to be profound. Optimism is a product of white privilege. So that I can sit here and say to you, I'm optimistic, maybe it's all being flushed up. And I can say that as a white person because still to me, some of this is new. Every day I'm learning something new. And for you as a black man, you've been seeing this. Your mother saw things differently. Your grandparents saw things differently. A world that I did not experience. Mm-hmm. So rather than you, I won't say you're being pessimistic. I think you're being realistic. You've got generations of people saying, this has been flushed up since uh, the Emancipation Proclamation and, and before that and many, right. many decades beyond that. And this is still where we are. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, and white privilege is not a bad thing. It doesn't make me a bad person. It means that when I walk in a store, 
If I stand too close to something or look like I'm putting something in my purse, I'm going to be given the benefit of the doubt because I am white. Correct. Just the truth. That doesn't, doesn't mean I'm bad, doesn't mean anything. I will say, and I was thinking back on this because I've been in the minority in a number of circumstances by being the only white person. When I lived in South Africa, I went into a store that was an, I didn't know it. I didn't realize it was an all black store. And I was the only white person in there. And it never dawned on me. I had never noticed any white people. And the woman came up behind me and followed me through the whole store. And I immediately knew she doesn't trust me because I'm white. And I didn't take it personally. It's like I had walked in and I was an other. I was somebody not to be trusted. And I didn't think anything of it. I just, I said, hello, and just let her continue to follow me because what in the world was a white person doing in a black store in South Africa? And I thought, so why is it just enough white people haven't had experiences of being the minority? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and I think it goes even further than being the minority. I think that the real issue systemically is not integration or segregation. It's equal access. So your experience of being a minority in that store in South Africa is real. It's not systemic, though. That's an individual experience you had going into that space. It doesn't make it any less real. But that experience isn't baked into the system. Like, a Black person can uh, have racial prejudice against white people or another white person. But that Black person's racial prejudice does not have any power over that white person and how they will live or move about society because it's not baked into the system. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, it does make sense. It does. So, good. So the, the real issue here, I believe, is that there is an equal access for different people groups. Black people don't necessarily need to be integrated. Like that's not, I think we were, we were fighting for that during the civil rights movement. And even Martin Luther King began to regret it toward the end of his career, I mean, his life, should I say. You know, he said, have I integrated us into a burning house? We never really needed integration. We just needed equal access. We needed the same subsidies that white people got to create the middle class. Think about the generational wealth that created that we were barred from. Well, I was thinking of two things. Number one was the show that you did with your mother talking about the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. and how she was protected in a way. And I've had this experience in, in many conversations with my black friends, the ones who were segregated actually had a better experience. Yes. Yeah. Because they weren't forced into a white man's world prematurely. They were kind of nurtured and comforted and not made to feel other. So I, I do think sometimes integration is overrated. But, you know, now that I'm thinking back to that experience in South Africa, it wasn't, it was a mistrust. 
It wasn't, as you said, it wasn't a baked in, it was a baked in mistrust of white people. Correct. But it wasn't so much a black supremacy in that. So it, it's really, there you go. That's a false equivalent. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. I shot the hell out of my little theory there. Oh, well. No, I mean, your theory still stands. I'm just applying it a different way, right? Like, that was a real experience that you had. Right, but it wasn't the same. It, it was wasn't systemic. the same, no. Yeah, when, because it was just from a basic mistrust, not because black people think they're superior and what the hell was I doing in their store? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's good. Thank you for the therapy session. <laughs> Send me a bill, but I want to get to, uh, let's not say the optimistic part, but let's say the spiritual part of this, because if I hear one more spiritual leader say we need to heal I am going to scream at the top of my lungs. Right. Yeah, I'm not interested in that. Thank you. Thank you. So what can we do moving forward? I'm not even going to use the word to heal. What do we do next? Applying the greatest commandment theology from your book, Breaking All the Rules. How do you speak to us as a pastor? You know, there are are so many things that we can do that, none of us would have time to list them all. I think that we have to start within ourselves and and ask ourselves, are we willing to listen to the stories of others? Are we willing to take those stories seriously? Going back to that analogy I made about my wife having a sick stomach and I don't have one, but we ate the same thing. Are we willing to believe that other people got that sick stomach dealing with the same stuff that we've dealt with. Dealing with the same police officers, am I willing to believe that your experience is different from mine? If I'm willing to believe that, that's where it starts. If I'm willing to believe that, then what action should I take? And I think right now, I don't think, I know right now that half of the country doesn't even believe it. 70 million people voted for Trump. So even with that, it's hard to be optimistic. You bring me optimism to an extent because of the work that you're doing, even in this conversation for you to say, "Ha, huh, that was my privilege. Like I hadn't even considered that. That's, that's beautiful that you're humble enough to even say that. And if we have more people like you who are doing that hard work, I believe absolutely we can start to move forward, but it's gonna take another 50 million views <laughs> for us to start seeing some real change because 70 million people watched what happened the past four years and voted for another four of Trump. 70 million people. And that's the thing. I think any call for unity at this point is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We are so divided and that is the truth. So if the first step of admitting you're an alcoholic is to say, I admit I have a problem with alcohol, then the first step of healing has got to be to say, I admit that I don't think like 70 million other people. Yeah. And they don't think like me. And try as I might, I will never get those people to think like I do. I'm not trying. I'm not giving them my energy. So how do we apply loving God, loving neighbor as self, to where we are in this moment as a country. 
So if you if loving yourself is at the foundation of, of all of this, you have to do what you need to do to protect yourself. So I protect myself by not engaging people who want to do me harm. Right. So that's why I'm not interested in having conversations with the people that storm the Capitol and see if we can find common ground. I'm not interested. I need to protect myself because you do not in any way have my best interests at heart. So the other piece is with greatest commandment theology, then how can you help others without harming yourself? Not, not without being uncomfortable. I mean, Lisa, you can attest that it's very uncomfortable doing the work that you do. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. It's also life-giving, which is, I believe is why you do it, but it's uncomfortable. Well, it's uncomfortable in uh, facing others that are my same skin color that thinks so differently than I do. And also having to look at daily nuances of my white privilege and go, ooh, I didn't even get that. Mm -hmm. And that is daily I'm getting those wake up calls. And to look at ourselves is not particularly fun, but that is the only way I know to heal myself. So maybe right. that maybe that is how we heal as a country. We have to heal ourselves. And look at ourselves. We have to. Introspection is one of the greatest skill sets that we can develop. And many of us are horrible at it. Just horrible. We don't look inside of ourselves. We have to be able to assess, is this making me uncomfortable or is it harming me? That requires introspection that a lot of people don't do. And uh, the people who stormed the Capitol on Wednesday, they have conflated harm with discomfort. Nobody has harmed them with the vote. They're uncomfortable with the fact that so many people voted against Trump. They're, they weren't harmed by that. People went out and voted. They got uncomfortable. They took that discomfort as harm against them. And that's what they did as a result. We need to look within ourselves and say, I need to protect myself. Yes. Then also, how do I help other people? What I say generally, and I'll end with this, is that we should pursue our needs, even sometimes pursue our wants, but we should never pursue our wants at the expense of somebody else's needs. And I believe that's what greatest commandment theology calls us to do. There are many things that I want, but if I have to choose between this thing that I want, but I can live without and juxtapose that to somebody who's sleeping in the cage on the border who came here seeking asylum, I'll sacrifice my want so that they can at least have some basic human dignity. If I hear you correctly, you're saying, and I may be oversimplifying this, pick your battles. You're not going to change the people that stormed the Capitol. You're not Correct. going to spend energy trying to bridge a gap that is unbridgeable. Right. But... Yeah you're willing to expend your energy and your love of God, neighbor self, to protect someone else. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, you know, you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus started at home. Rome was the United States of its day. And Jesus was a product of an occupied territory. Rome occupied his homeland. So a lot of times when we read the Bible, we read ourselves as being a part of Jesus's tribe. But really, we, we're Rome when we, when we read the scriptures. Jesus didn't spend a lot of time trying to fight Rome. 
he was trying to address the people in his circle. How can those of us in this space start to live out this greatest commandment better? We don't worry about Rome right now. Let's figure out how we can live this out better. And then we can address how Rome impedes us from doing even more, right? But he spent a lot of his time addressing the people in his space and not so much attention on Rome. That's a great way to end today because it is a positive note. We can bloom where we're planted. We can, if we are Christian as followers of Christ, follow that example and not try to change the world, but work in our own world. And I can't, Christian, congratulations on your book doing so well on Amazon. Five stars. Is that what I saw? Thank you. Yeah. You know, that's funny. I actually, I I shared that post because um, it was, it was tied to a doctoral student who cited my book in his doctoral work. So it didn't share properly on Facebook. It just shared the link to Amazon, but it was actually a post of my, a friend of mine who's doing doctoral work who said, breaking all the rules helped me process this idea in this way. And that was just really humbling for me. I see. Well, I thought it was, uh, you were saying you were humbled by the five stars too, but uh, I would like to say the book is great. It deserves stars, citations, everything. Breaking all the rules is about the greatest commandment theology, which is a simple concept, certainly one that is thought provoking. Correct. And I want to send everybody to your web. They can get it on Amazon, but I want to send them to your website, which is christianasmith.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-A smith.com. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you'll come back as things unfold over the next few weeks and months. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know. I always love having Christian Smith here. My name is Lisa Smith Henderson. No relation, although I wish there were. I always think of Christian as one of my other sons. So we're on almaamiracist.com. If you want to drop an email, you can do that. almaamiracist at gmail.com. Check out some of our other podcasts on the website, or you can go to Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll be with us again next week for Alma Am I Racist?